0: Section 5 of Celebrated Crimes volume 1 This is a LibriVox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org Celebrated Crimes volume 1 by Alexander Dumas translated by G B Ives Section 5 The Borgias chapter 3 part 1 Rodrigo Lenzuolo was born at Valencia in Spain in 1430 or 1431, and on his mother's side was descended, as some writers declare, of a family of royal blood, which had cast its eyes on the tiara only after cherishing hopes of the crowns of Aragon and Valencia. Rodrigo from his infancy had shown signs of a marvellous quickness of mind, and as he grew older he exhibited an intelligence extremely apt for the study of sciences, especially law and jurisprudence. The result was that his first distinctions were gained in the law, a profession wherein he soon made a great reputation by his ability in the discussion of the most thorny cases." All the same he was not slow to leave this career, and abandoned it quite suddenly for the military profession which his father had followed. But after various actions which served to display his presence of mind and courage, he was as much disgusted with this profession as with the other. And since it happened that at the very time he began to feel this disgust his father died, leaving a considerable fortune, he resolved to do no more work but to live according to his own fancies and caprices about this time he became the lover of a widow who had two daughters the widow dying rodrigo took the girls under his protection put one into a convent and as the other was one of the loveliest women imaginable made her his mistress this was the notorious rosa vanoza by whom he had five children francesco cesar lucrezia and Gofredo. The name of the fifth is unknown. Rodrigo, retired from public affairs, was given up entirely to the affections of a lover and a father, when he heard that his uncle, who loved him like a son, had been elected pope under the name of Calixtus Third. But the young man was at this time so much a lover that love imposed silence on ambition and indeed he was almost terrified at the exaltation of his uncle, which was no doubt destined to force him once more into public life. Consequently, instead of hurrying to Rome as any one else in his place would have done, he was content to indite to his holiness a letter in which he begged for the continuation of his favours, and wished him a long and happy reign this reserve on the part of one of his relatives contrasted with the ambitious schemes which beset the new pope at every step struck calixtus the third in a singular way he knew the stuff that was in young rodrigo and at a time when he was besieged on all sides by mediocrities this powerful nature holding modestly aside gained new grandeur in his eyes so he replied instantly to rodrigo that on the receipt of his letter he must quit spain for italy Valencia for Rome. This letter uprooted Rodrigo from the center of happiness he had created for himself, and where he might perhaps have slumbered on like an ordinary man if fortune had not thus interposed to drag him forcibly away. Rodrigo was happy. Rodrigo was rich. The evil passions which were natural to him had been, if not extinguished, at least lulled. He was frightened himself at the idea of changing the quiet life he was leading for the ambitious, agitated career that was promised him, and instead of obeying his uncle, he delayed the preparations for departure, hoping that Calixtus would forget him. It was not so. Two months after he received the letter from the Pope, there arrived at Valencia a prelate from Rome, the bearer of rodrigo's nomination to a benefice worth twenty thousand ducats a year and also a positive order to the holder of the post to come and take possession of his charge as soon as possible holding back was no longer feasible so rodrigo obeyed but as he did not wish to be separated from the source whence had sprung eight years of happiness rosa venoza also left spain and while he was going to rome She betook herself to Venice, accompanied by two confidential servants, and under the protection of a Spanish gentleman named Manuel Melchior. Fortune kept the promises she had made to Rodrigo. The Pope received him as a son, and made him successively Archbishop of Valencia, Cardinal Deacon, and Vice-Chancellor. To all these favors Calixtus added a revenue of twenty thousand ducats, so that at the age of scarcely thirty-five Rodrigo found himself the equal of a prince in riches and power. Rodrigo had had some reluctance about accepting the cardinalship, which kept him fast at Rome, and would have preferred to be general of the church, a position which would have allowed him more liberty for seeing his mistress and his family. But his uncle Calixtus made him reckon with the possibility of being his successor some day, and from that moment the idea of being the supreme head of kings and nations took such hold of Rodrigo that he no longer had any end in view but that which his uncle had made him entertain. From that day forward there began to grow up in the young cardinal that talent for hypocrisy, which made of him the most perfect incarnation of the devil that has perhaps ever existed. And Rodrigo was no longer the same man. With words of repentance and humility on his lips, his head bowed as though he were bearing the weight of his past sins, disparaging the riches which he had acquired, and which, according to him, were the wealth of the poor and ought to return to the poor he passed his life in churches monasteries and hospitals acquiring his historian tells us even in the eyes of his enemies the reputation of a solomon for wisdom of a job for patience and of a very moses for his promulgation of the word of god rosa vanoza was the only person in the world who could appreciate the value of this pious cardinal's conversion it proved a lucky thing for rodrigo that he had assumed this pious attitude, for his protector died after a reign of three years, three months, and nineteen days, and he was now sustained by his own merit alone, against the numerous enemies he had made by his rapid rise to fortune. So, during the whole of the reign of Pius II, he lived always apart from public affairs, and only reappeared in the days of Sixtus IV., who made him the gift of the abbacy of Subiaco, and sent him in the capacity of ambassador to the kings of Aragon and Portugal. On his return, which took place during the pontificate of Innocent VIII, he decided to fetch his family at last to Rome. Thither they came, escorted by Don Manuel Melchior, who from that moment passed as the husband of Rosa Venoza, and took the name of Count Ferdinand of Castile. The Cardinal Rodrigo received the noble Spaniard as a countryman and a friend, and he, who expected to lead a most retired life, engaged a house in the street of the Lungara, near the church of Regina Chaley on the banks of the Tiber. There it was that, after passing the day in prayers and pious works, Cardinal Rodrigo used to repair each evening and lay aside his mask. And it was said, though nobody could prove it, that in this house infamous scenes passed reports said the dissipations were of so dissolute a character that their equals had never been seen in rome with a view to checking the rumours that began to spread abroad rodrigo sent caesar to study in pisa and married Lucrezia to a young gentleman of aragon thus there only remained at home rosa benotsa and her two sons such was the state of things when innocent the eighth died and Rodrigo Borgia, was proclaimed Pope. We have seen by what means the nomination was effected. And so the five cardinals who had taken no part in this simony, namely the cardinals of Naples, Sierra, Portugal, Santa Maria in Portico, and St. Peter in Vinculis, protested loudly against this election, which they treated as a piece of jobbery. But Rodrigo had, none the less, however it was done, secured his majority. Rodrigo was, nonetheless, the 260th successor of St. Peter. Alexander VI, however, though he had arrived at his object, did not dare throw off at first the mask which the Cardinal Borgia had worn so long, although when he was apprised of his election he could not dissimulate his joy. Indeed, on hearing the favourable result of the scrutiny, he lifted his hands to heaven and cried in the accents of satisfied ambition, Am I, then, Pope? Am I, then, Christ's vicar? Am I, then, the keystone of the Christian world? Yes, Holy Father, replied Cardinal Ascanio Sforza, the same who had sold to Rodrigo the nine votes that were at his disposal at the conclave for four mules laden with silver. And we hope by our election to give glory to God, repose to the Church, and joy to Christendom, seeing that you have been chosen by the Almighty himself as the most worthy among all your brethren but in the short interval occupied by this reply the new pope had already assumed papal authority and in a humble voice and with hands crossed upon his breast he spoke We hope that God will grant us his powerful aid, in spite of our weakness, and that he will do for us that which he did for the Apostle, when aforetime he put into his hands the keys of heaven, and entrusted to him the government of the Church, a government which, without the aid of God, would prove too heavy a burden for mortal man. But God promised that his Spirit should direct him. God will do the same, I trust, for us and for your part we fear not lest any of you fail in that holy obedience which is due unto the head of the church even as the flock of christ was bidden to follow the prince of the apostles having spoken these words alexander donned the pontifical robes and through the windows of the vatican had strips of paper thrown out on which his name was written in latin these blown by the wind seemed to convey to the whole world the news of the great event which was about to change the face of Italy. The same day, couriers started for all the courts of Europe. Caesar Borgia learned the news of his father's election at the University of Pisa, where he was a student. His ambition had sometimes dreamed of such good fortune, yet his joy was little short of madness. He was then a young man, about twenty-two or twenty-four years of age, skilful in all bodily exercises and especially in fencing. He could ride bare-backed the most fiery of steeds, could cut off the head of a bull at a single sword-stroke. Moreover, he was arrogant, jealous, and insincere. According to Tomasi, he was great among the godless, as his brother Francesco was good among the great as to his face even contemporary authors have left utterly different descriptions for some have painted him as a monster of ugliness while others on the contrary extol his beauty this contradiction is due to the fact that at certain times of the year and especially in the spring his face was covered with an eruption which so long as it lasted made him an object of horror and disgust while all the rest of the year he was the sombre black-haired cavalier with pale skin and tawny beard whom raphael shows us in the fine portrait he made of him and historians, both chroniclers and painters, agree as to his fixed and powerful gaze, behind which burned a ceaseless flame, giving to his face something infernal and superhuman. Such was the man whose fortune was to fulfill all his desires. He had taken for his motto, Out Caesar, Out Nihil, Caesar, or nothing. End of section 5